So here we are. It is already February and the year is slipping away. My God. (laughs) But in exciting news, it is February, which means it's Black History Month. I always think about school when I think about Black History Month, and I do think a big part of celebrating it or having it as an institution in our holiday schedule in the United States of America is to help educators facilitate that learning for their students, which obviously has changed shape since we were kids, perhaps less of a trip down memory lane and more of a tool for educating kids not only about like the history of Black Americans and like their achievements and, and honoring them, which is so important, but also kind of reflecting on what's happening in the current moment as well. And learning and teaching ourselves and children how to like have really great dialogue and conversations about how to make the world a better place mm-hmm. and elevate our Black friends, colleagues, businesses. Yeah, I think these are things we should be doing and thinking about all year round. But I think it's important that we have a month dedicated to it because it's automatically built in to our national awareness. Um, And like I said, it's built into the school program. Yeah. I feel like I'm already launching us into our conversation for today. Launch us. (laughs) Claire bought us a copy for the office and I'm sure we're both going to buy our own copies now of this brand new anthology that was edited by Kevin Young titled African American Poetry 250 Years of Struggle and Song it's published by a Library of America and it's got a gorgeous cover it is over a thousand pages <laughs> filled with just so much incredible work spanning 250 years. It's a Bible. We keep joking about how the paper is that sort of thin, slick, like Bible paper, but it is it is a Bible of African-American poetry. Um, going back to the first known composed poem written by an enslaved African-American. Oh, Lucy Terry. Lucy Terry. Um, that poem is at the very beginning in section one and, you know, composed and performed orally that just got passed around. So this book has some deep, deep roots. And uh, the poem is titled Bars Fight. Mm-hmm. But Lucy Terry, that yeah. is so cool. And then, of course, it spans through history and uh, brings us to the present day. So an amazing scope in this anthology. And we were just talking about how much we love anthologies now. We got so into the anthology of Native Nations poetry mm-hmm. that Joy Harjo edited that came out last year. And these just feel like such necessary books to to provide um, not just the history, but a place to start with these works. And then we can go find these poets' books that they have published on their own um, from there. But what a what a great resource. Something about just literature in general that had been a huge barrier for me to cross and to get into, you know, the big bubble that is literature. 
has been not knowing where to start Mm -hmm. and then not knowing how to organize that information. And as chaotic of a person (laughs) as I am, I love structure and chronology and organizing. Like if there's an author that I know I love, I start with their very first book Mm -hmm. and move my way up. And I feel like when it comes to all sorts of literature, we have movements, we have some structure to the way that time has moved through literature. And that was a tricky thing when it's like, I want to read and familiarize myself with Black authors and the different movements in Black history. And this book has organized it so beautifully. And the introduction is so thorough and rich and just so vital. Yeah. Um, Claire, I know you read the whole thing. Well, you were talking about how it's so hard with literature, with a capital L, to know where to start. And that's even when you're just talking about what we refer to as the canon. And, you know, when you're really trying to find those marginalized voices that Mm. traditionally have not been included in the canon, it's even harder. So that's why these anthologies and this particular anthology that Kevin Young edited, it's so essential. It's essential reading. It's essential to anyone's library who is a lover of poetry. And uh, yeah, it's in the scope of this book. It's creating a new canon, which is also a beautiful thing. Hmm. I want to mention or highlight your notes, Claire. Um, Let's do it. (laughs) Claire always puts together a set of notes for us, um, just like that's what a podcast producer does. (laughs) And something, so this is an enormous introduction, very thorough, truly remarkable. But some of the the quotes that you pulled from it really just stayed with me. And uh, one of those quotes was, for African-Americans, the very act of poetry proves a form of protest. Mm. Hearing you read that out loud uh, makes me realize how obvious it is that that was written by a poet. It has Mm. the most beautiful sonics and rhythm. And of course, that's a direct quote from Kevin Young, who wrote the introduction, who is a wonderful poet himself and the poetry editor of the New Yorker magazine. But it's like one of those lines that when you take it out of the body of the text, it I'm sorry, we use this word all the time, but it sounds so iconic. It sounds like something people will repeat and say and pass down for a long time. Uh, It certainly stuck with me. And I believe it, too. I think that poetry itself is a form of protest. But for African-Americans, even more so, and in very direct ways when you look at history. And having read that quote before diving in and then reading the poems, um, especially the ones that we've selected for today, really just, it was a great place to start. Yeah, So I'll give a highlight reel of some of the fun things that are in this book, which we aren't going to read to everyone today, but little teasers so that you go get the book yourself. So there's a collection of jump rope rhymes that were gathered by Lucille Clifton that have never before been published. So that's like a cool take on an oral tradition in poetry as well. And those are delightful. Uh, This is a really comprehensive collection, as we've said, and it does include Caribbean poets as well. 
There's also something that Kevin Young describes as a break from tradition in this anthology in that there are some poems in here that were translated from languages other than English. Um, So American poets of African descent writing in languages other than English. So that's pretty amazing. We have Angelina Weld Grimke. Yeah. A queer African-American poet who never published a book of poetry. That is such a good teaser. (laughs) (laughs) I would repurchase this book based on that teaser. Oh, my God. And in this anthology, they include poems that were recently discovered, early unpublished love poems written to a woman in the 1890s. And that, you know, that speaks to a larger point, which is that this book includes a lot of unknown poets. These are not just the big hits throughout history um, that we may have already been taught for Black History Month as kids in elementary, middle school, or high school. There's a lot of names and a lot of voices in here that are previously relatively unheard. So that's super exciting. I know we touched a little on the way that the book is organized and how that serves us um, as we Mm -hmm. read through, but do you want to elaborate on the sections? Yeah, so they are chronological. The poets within each section are alphabetical, though, so you kind of get a lot of different resonances um, from experiencing them that way. But there are eight sections... Beginning in 1770, so section one, Bury Me in a Free Land, goes from 1770 to 1899. So that's the biggest section. And then every section after that is around 20 years and goes from the early 1900s all the way up to the present day. And there are some gorgeous section titles. Looking at the section titles all together here kind of looks like a beautiful poem in and of itself. I particularly love that section three is titled The Dark Tower. And then section six is titled Blue Light Sutras. Oh, that's so, so beautiful. It's gorgeous. And our contemporary poets who are in section eight, their section is titled After the Hurricane. That section begins in 2009 and goes to 2020. So it's an interesting perspective on um, how that era of poets has been shaped by disaster in a way. Uh, A very different kind of disaster than the poets from section one, obviously, Bury Me in a Free Land, speaks to a totally different era. So I really love how the section titles, they interplay really poetically with the periods and movements. I am just in awe. Like, it's so hard to find. I mean, we've published like anthologies with host, obviously, and we put so much emphasis on this last ice cream anthology on the importance of section titles. Um, And so it just, it means so much to see a really well thought section title. I know that's really... No, I think it's cool. I mean, because they're not just fancy names, like they're not just poetic. They're describing moments in history Mm -hmm. and movements of poetry in these really almost otherworldly way. Yeah, that's a great way to describe that um, because it does feel like it's beyond the page. Um, Yeah. I'm ready to dive into reading some of these poems. How about you, Inar? Me too. I think it can go without saying that we had an impossible time selecting poems to share with y'all today. Yeah. (laughs) It was truly impossible. But 
You know what they say, leave them wanting more. Everyone needs to own this book. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start us off with a poem by the poet Claude McKay. Claude McKay was born in 1889 in Sunnyville, Jamaica. This is America by Claude McKay. America. Although she feeds me bread of bitterness and sinks into my throat her tiger's tooth, stealing my breath of life, I will confess I love this cultured hell that tests my youth. Her vigor flows like tides into my blood, giving me strength erect against her hate. Her bigness sweeps my being like a flood, yet as a rebel fronts a king in state. I stand within her walls with not a shred of terror, malice, nor a word of jeer. Darkly I gaze into the days ahead and see her might and granite wonders there. Beneath the touch of time's unerring hand, like priceless treasures sinking in the sand. Wow. You know, that's a hopeful poem. Oh, absolutely. It feels, and you know, and this is a heartbreaking thing to say and to think, but this could have been written today hmm. in this place that is full of anger towards our country, but we have nothing but hope. So well said, Anar. There's also, I just want to say, a sophistication to the language of this poem that is delightful on a poetry level and elevates that hope a little bit to a place not of anger or even bitterness, which is mentioned in the first line, although she feeds me bread of bitterness. The poem chooses to rise above that, uh, which is just a gorgeous poetic move. I'm already <laughs> so moved. <laughs> One cool thing about Claude McKay, he wrote a lot of sonnets. Um, so playing with that very uh, European uh, traditional form. Um, but they were what's known as protest sonnets, which was kind of a thing during the Harlem Renaissance. So uh, what a cool idea, a protest sonnet. So I'm excited to share a poem by June Jordan. Involved with the Black Arts Movement, she published some 28 books as author or editor, also a prominent activist. I truly do love this poem. What would I do white? June Jordan. What would I do white? What would I do clearly full of not exactly beans, nor pearls, my nose a manicure, my eyes a picture of your wall. I would disturb the streets by passing by so pretty kids on stolen petty cash would look at me like foreign writing in the sky. I would forget my furs on any chair. I would ignore the doorman at the knob, the social Sanskrit of my life, unwilling to disclose my cosmetology, I would forget. Over my wine, I would acquire. I would inspire big returns to equity, the equity of capital I am accustomed to accept, 
like winter time. I would do nothing. That would be enough. Is that a perfect poem? <laughs> I think it is a perfect poem. It's so evocative without being confrontational. Or it is confrontational in a way that is so subtle and inventive that you just let the images wash over you and then those realizations of the depth of what's being said in lines like, I would ignore the doorman at the knob, mm. you know? I adore the stanza. Over my wine I would acquire, I would inspire big returns to equity, the equity of capital I am accustomed to accept like winter time. Oh. If that does not just resonate what privilege mm -hmm. looks like. And just, it's so, it's so witty. It's so clever. Yes, it's very <sighs> clever. And there's so much beautiful language and imagery, but then the lines, I would forget and I would mm. do nothing are so impactful amidst the beautiful language that... You know, they're like little sledgehammers. <laughs> mm. What a cool poem. What fun. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that. All right. So as Anar said, we can't do this collection justice. And there's so much good poetry to read in here. Um, we are skipping ahead to section seven. Um, and a lot of our favorite contemporary poets are in Section 7. So we have a few poets from that section we'd like to highlight on this episode, the first of which is Jericho Brown. Jericho Brown is a recipient of the American Book Award, and the tradition was awarded the Pulitzer Prize. And the poem of Jericho Brown's that I'm reading from this collection is The Tradition. The Tradition. Aster, nasturtium, delphinium. We thought fingers in dirt meant it was our dirt. Learning names in heat, in elements classical philosophers said could change us. Stargazer, foxglove. Summer seemed to bloom against the will of the sun which news reports claimed flamed hotter on this planet than when our dead fathers wiped sweat from their necks. Cosmos, baby's breath. Men like me and my brothers filmed what we planted for proof we existed before too late, sped the video to see blossoms brought in seconds, Colors you expect in poems, where the world ends. Everything cut down. John Crawford. Eric Garner. Mike Brown. Wow. So this is the titular poem from his collection, The Tradition, which is such a great book. Um, and just so powerful with these italicized words. The words that are listed start out as flower species, and then the very last line are the names of 
African-American men who have been killed. Uh, those names resonate really powerfully at this point. And um, yeah, to have them sort of juxtaposed with these like flowers, it's so beautiful. Where the world ends, everything cut down. Yeah, the the video of the flowers' lives being sped up so that they live and die in the span of a second is is so powerful when it's juxtaposed like the flower names with the the names of those who were killed at the hands of police. Truly gorgeous poem. Yeah, that's another perfect and beautiful poem. I do want to say that tradition was probably one of my favorite, like maybe my favorite poetry collection that I read last year. Um, I remember I wanted to get a copy of the tradition in Portland. A few of us saw Jericho Brown read and he had sold out by the time that we, we got to see him read in a bookstore in Portland and it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Truly just a brilliant poet. And, like, the nicest person. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really excited to read this next poem by one of my favorite poets, Tahimba Jess, who I discovered through reading his book, Olio, which in 2017 won a Pulitzer Prize. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it did. And... The poem I'll be reading today is actually featured in Olio as well. A little bit of context about Olio and this poem is um, Olio is a masterpiece uh, that embodies a decade of Tahimba Jess's dedication to literature and Black history. Um, A lot of these poems are, it's like a mixture of fiction and nonfiction, but they embody the voices and the experiences of a lot of incredible historical figures Mm -hmm. from before and after the Civil War up to World War I. So it's truly a gift to this country, uh, to literature. And the poem that I'll be reading from this anthology is written in the voice of sculptor Edmonia Lewis. And the poem is titled Many Ha Ha. And it's based on a sculpture by Edmonia Lewis from 1868. Minnie Haha. What part of me is mine that was not mined from the mind of poets, artists rewriting the past blow by blow till it's pulverized past the barely recognizable? I was born when I was written, then hammered out of a mountain. I was shattered, then broken, then sharpened to the human. I'm carved in marble that never dies, hardly crumbles. A stubborn queen who will die only with those people who crave a ruling monarchy of fictions. Tales my sculptor plied to strike against their pale armies of dignities. History is their favorite lie. I found my face buried in its would-be pages, then excavated by a native who fled the country. Such was her misery at home, 
in the land where my legend roams, the canonized American poetry. I'm her stone arrow, her refusal to bow. I wear her chisel, sharp aim as my crown. Whoa. <sighs> wow. That's an amazing poem. And the sonics in the first two lines of how mine becomes mind becomes mind mm. is so cool. That book, Olio, is an opus. It is just, mm. yeah, mm -hmm. such a masterpiece. And that this is one tiny, tiny, tiny little chunk of that massive book with all of those formal inventions and pages that fold out that you can read multiple directions. And this is just a one stanza poem. And it's incredible. I will say it's so delightful to read Dahimba Jess out loud. Mm -hmm. I think I need to go back and reread that whole book now. Mm. Always. That should be... <laughs> An annual revisit for everybody. All right. So Tracy K. Smith was the Poet Laureate of the United States. Um, an amazing poet. So many great collections, notably Life on Mars. That's a wonderful collection. And then I believe her most recent is titled Wade in the Water. So definitely check those books out. I'm going to read her poem titled Declaration from this anthology. And just a side note, it is actually an erasure poem. And it is an erasure of the Declaration of Independence. Declaration. He has sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people. He has plundered our ravaged our, destroyed the lives of our, taking away our, abolishing our most valuable, and altering fundamentally the forms of our. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. Taken captive on the high seas to bear. Wow. Ugh. You know, she talks about this poem on an episode of the New Yorker Poetry Podcast hosted by Kevin Young, the editor of this anthology. And she says that, of course, when she performed this erasure and wrote this poem from it, she was trying to hear what might be speaking within the Declaration of Independence within those sort of ancient formative words for our nation and also what might be speaking against it. And I thought that was a, such a cool way to think about that language, that it was not 
without its own contradictions within itself. Um, wow. Ugh. You know, and and that's an erasure poem. <laughs> so uh, definitely want to check out her full books. She's got some great work. Um, the episode of the New Yorker Poetry Podcast that Tracy K. Smith talks about this poem on is called Radical Imagination. And Terrence Hayes is also on that episode, as well as Marilyn Nelson. We'll put a link to that episode and, and definitely consider that um, further listening. <laughs> yeah. Claire, I'm already so sad that we're going to close out our reading. I know. But what a great poet to close us out from section eight, the final section of the book in which we have our after the hurricane poets who are the young contemporary poets climbing their way to the top as we speak. Perfect poet to close us out. Morgan Parker. We all know Morgan. Just <laughs> a poet of our time. Yeah. I read an article on AWP's website, actually, which was by Erica Dawson, called Black History Month Do's and Don'ts. Mm. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And she offers some insight on how to best honor and, and respect Black voices during this time. And one of the lines from that article is, buy Morgan Parker's book immediately, period. Mm -hmm. Like, that's all she says about it is just go buy Morgan Parker's book. So, and Morgan Parker has two books now, so buy them both. It's three. Oh, is it? Yeah. These are all such <gasps> great titles. Um, So, Other People's Comfort Keeps Me Up at Night. There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce and Magical Negro, which came out a couple of years ago. That's right. Actually, she has the young adult novel, apparently, called... Who Put This Song On that came out in uh -huh. 2019. Um, so buy Morgan Parker's books. Yeah. Follow on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Morgan Parker, The President's Wife. Sometimes I wonder, is Beyonce who she says she is? Will I accidentally live forever? and be sentenced to smile at men I wish were dead? Is loneliness cultural? Are lips true? Is a mother still a self? Do I glow in the dark? What if men are wrong and English isn't sound, blue isn't color, eyes are the window to storm? Am I too transparent in this skirt suit? Is a skirt suit a social construct? What does money cost? Should I stop talking while the ocean takes California? Hot breath takes the capital? Will ritual outlast what visits? Sleeping daughters with bad words. What lets some girls grow warm and tall? The arms of their lovers are rich and imaginary like me. Is desire making me sick? building in my organs like ammunition, tiptoeing behind my eyes until I'm digital, I'm static. Is it called desire? Can it speak? What does beautiful cost? Do I afford it? Do I roll off the tongue? Is America going to be sick? Will fat kids inherit the earth? Will you untag me from that picture? Do you think I should cut my bangs? Do I have any friends? Do you believe in me? 
Should I go to sleep? Try again, harder tomorrow. Should I answer the phone? Who is it? Who want the world like it is? Spoke Baraka. Can you hear him now? Do you understand? Are calories and sitcoms here to make me sad? Am I a moon no one sees? Does my lipstick look okay? Am I growing tired of my alternate lifestyle? Or would I like a fresh glass? Is there something spectacular in fallen trees, ancient hieroglyphs, hippie towns, 20-somethings? Will they save us? Is it possible to disappear? What's it like to be the first anything? What's it like to be the first anything is such a great line in the context of this anthology, in the way that we've just kind of hop skipped and jumped through it from very old to very new. Um, this is such a poem for our times. It is just speaking to so many different elements of contemporary life. And so quickly. It feels like for me, this poem especially resonated the human experience in this pandemic time and that we're worried about not only our initial concerns with, you know, social justice and equality, but also now the pandemic, we're worried about our health. We're worried about finances. We're worried about, am I on my phone too long like this feels like it it really kind of crept into the the small things that we experience mm -hmm. when we're scrolling in bed um yes one by one and then those lions is there something spectacular in fallen trees ancient hieroglyphs hippie towns 20 somethings like that jump from ancient hieroglyphs mm. to hippie towns is kind of just like scanning all of human history and going, what is going to save us? Oh my gosh. The lines before that. Am I growing tired of my alternative lifestyle or would I like a fresh glass? <laughs> oh my God. This was so much fun. It's It's a fun poem. It's a really... You know, there's a lot of bleakness in it. Like, it really, really looks at the dismal nature of humanity straight in the eye. Mm. And it's called The President's Wife, which is so funny to me. Like, there is, we talked about at the top that idea of these poems being written in protest. And I feel like that's where I feel it in this poem. Apart from mm. just the general protest of <laughs> all, all of these um qualities of contemporary life but also just like the surreality of that title with this poem that to me is also in protest wow what great poems oh my gosh there's so many authors familiar and that i'm unfamiliar with which is the perfect place to be when you're exploring an anthology like this yeah
So as a companion to this episode, for the rest of this month, we will be highlighting action-oriented guides on our Instagram with ways to celebrate Black voices in our community and ways to give support to Black-owned businesses and organizations that advocate for racial justice. Mm -hmm. We'll be sharing some really great educational resources. I know, Claire, you had linked us some really wonderful things to read uh, for this episode that I'm excited to share. Um... We're also going to compile Black authors for people to read um, inspired from this anthology, um, books that live on our shelves, books that we want to buy. Um, and I think that's going to be really fun. And another highlight that I am excited to post is a list of Austin-based Black-owned businesses run or owned by Black women or non-binary folks. Yeah. And we'll also talk about a few organizations which we can donate our money or time to. Working for social change, um, we talk about some of these on our Action Tuesdays posts already, and we're just going to add to that list. So keep an eye out on our Instagram for more great stuff. And I know it's hard to believe that we just experienced AWP, like, Almost a year ago. That is crazy. But uh, Claire put together some events that are on behalf of AWP or taking place at AWP that coincides with some of the authors that we shared with y'all today. Yeah, there are a couple of the authors uh, whose poems we read today who are actually going to be on some panels and events at AWP, which is virtual this year, beginning March 3rd. So definitely check out the whole list of events that are taking place. Um, one cool thing about it being virtual is it's super accessible to everyone everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a really cool event called Poem About My Rights, June Jordan Speaks, sponsored by Copper Canyon Press. So they're going to be honoring June Jordan and talking about her work. Uh, and then one of the other poets we read is Jericho Brown, and he's going to be one of the panelists for that event. Wow. So that's super exciting. And then another poet who we highlighted today will be also uh, a panelist this is a really cool sounding event. It's called The Futures of Documentary and Investigative Poetries. And there's some great poets that will be paneling, including Tahimba Jess. So if you want to hear the words of that genius in real time, then definitely check out that event. The people at home cannot see, but I have been fist pumping. <laughs> yes, <laughs> fist pump. And that is all we have for today. Happy Black History Month. And keep an eye out for more content coming soon. Thank you so much, Claire. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, Inar. <laughs>